Well, he's going to tell you this, but I'm so excited for this next season and series that we are heading into called Oranges. <laughs> no. Oh, rats. Thanks, Kim. My foot saved it, so we're good. We're good. Oh, it's good to be back. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, this last weekend, I had such a, a great privilege, such a great honor to be with a few people, uh, and we traveled over to West Kelowna. Where's my West Kelowna people at? Yeah. Joel, you better pump up. I'm having lived there for nearly 12 years, but I still call myself a West Kelowna kid. So it's all good. Hey, uh, so it was awesome. We got to go to this Awaken retreat that was there and it was a bunch of youth groups together. And man, I miss being a youth pastor. I miss it. I loved being a youth pastor. I'm so grateful that I'm here right now in this season because I do not have the energy anymore to be a youth pastor. Uh, it was, it was almost like being like, like a grandparent there this weekend where it's like, I get to spend time with them. But if they got like out of sorts, I'd be like, Hey, yo, YP deal with this. So I don't have to anymore. It was great. I loved it. And, uh, so what was really cool is it was in my hometown, which I don't often get to go back to the place in which that I grew up in. I don't have family there anymore. My mom had passed away. She was kind of like that central figure that drew us there. I have brothers on either side in Kelowna and on Peachland, but they work in the oil rigs for like nine, ten months of the year. So uh, timelines just doesn't work all that often to get there. So it's just nice to go back. And uh, with the crew of students that I got to go with, it was so fun because I got to show them like my high school that I went to, and I got to show them the trailer park that I grew up in. Yeah, that's right. I grew up in a trailer park. Uh, my family, okay, my family is pretty funny. So if you, like, think of the stereotypical picture of, like, a single mom. My parents separated when I was young. A single mom and four boys. So she had four boys that were, like, from the youngest to oldest was five and a half years. So, like, bang, 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 bang. Super quick. She had four boys at one point, like, six to one is what she was taking care of. Crazy. I know. I have such a heart for single moms because of what my mom had to go through with us. The four Briscoe boys. So think about this. The four Briscoe boys were known around our trailer park. Uh, we were the like, very similar. I'm halfway there right now. The buzz cut, but with the mullet in the back. Oh, come on. Like we had it all, all of us. And like, I got straight hair. So it was just like straight and greasy because we would like challenge each other to see who could go the longest without having a shower because we were boys. That's what boys do. And we would like kick rocks at cars as they would drive by. And in the trailer park, it like literally, if there was any toy or any bike that was like in visual sight, if it was on the ground, it was free game. It was just free game to take whatever you wanted. Even if it was on the other side of a fence and you could visually see it, it was free game for us to take. So I never had a, my own bike. I just found other people's bikes and used them all the time. So just think of like that stereotypical picture of a mom, right? This is my childhood, living on welfare, smoker, drinker, taking care of four boys. Uh, you know what? Actually, you don't even have to picture it. This, 
right here. That's me and my brothers right there. Huh? So the four of us, okay, which one, which color do you think I'm in? Black. I'm in the black. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, give Seth like another three or four years and that's what he'll look like. I should tell him to start growing his mullet right now. Right? All four of us had mullets in this picture. Okay, so, uh, this was my childhood. We were known as the Briscoe Boys. I can think of a time, uh, where we would go visit, we would visit my dad in the summers. He lived up in Prince George at the time. Or not Prince George. Uh, go over to Alberta. Peace River, that's what it was. Peace River. And, uh, my dad was a car salesman, so he was like, a car guy. And we would go visit him and then he would go to work. And then the four of us would be left to whatever we wanted to do during the day in Peace River. And so uh, we would, I remember this one story, we were in the backyard and my dad had this old car. I'm not a car guy, so I don't remember what car it was. All I remember that it was like one of those muscle style kind of cars that had like a big hood in the front. It had like just two doors, one on each side with like the leather seats with like the lined like stitches in it. Right. And then the bench seat in the back that you could sit and it was a thin steering wheel. That's all I remember, okay? And so we would pretend racing this car. And I remember this one time where we were pretending to race this car and we had this sweet scene going on. We're like ripping through traffic. We weren't actually ripping through traffic. We were just imagining it. Uh, And so we're in the like backyard like, you know, like think of the picture where you like you mow the lawn, but yet there's that like grass around the tires and whatnot. Like that's the kind of car we were in. And we we're pretending we're in this sweet race and we're fighting the cops and we're getting away from the good guys because we're the bad guys. And then my brother Darcy, who is known as like the adventurous one, the one to think of the ideas that we all think are awesome ideas at first. Can you guess which one's Darcy? The underwear lines on the bottom, uh, right over there, that is my brother Darcy. He, he still is the exact same person today. <laughs> so he thought of this great idea of like getting on top of the car on like the roof of it, or he's like, like this and pretending that the wind is like blowing in his face and we're like trying to drive away from him who's jumped on top. And so then I got on top as well. And I remember that it was like myself and Darcy were the bottom two there. And then uh, Miles and Kelsey or the other ones, uh, they would be inside and we were like pounding like the roof and they're pretending to drive and have us like swerve off. And then we would like rotate and change positions and it escalated and it escalated and it escalated to the point where I remember like being in the driver's seat and they're like jumping on the roof of the car in the backyard. And I could see like the roof, like slowly like dent down as Darcy and I are like, in the car thinking that this is the greatest idea ever. And then my dad drove home from work (laughs) as we're in the car. And I remember thinking, ah, maybe this wasn't a good idea. (laughs) And then the first thing that my dad said affirmed that this wasn't a good idea (laughs) by his response. And it was the one and the only time that I can remember being bent over the hood of a car, (laughs) pants stripped all the way down, leather belt out, and whack on the behind. 
all four of us. All four of us had to wait in line until our smack whack out in public. We were known as the Briscoe Boys. Man, we were king of the trailer parks. And I have such a love for my brothers. I have such a love. Who here has a brother? Come on. So when we had Seth, I was so pumped that we had a boy. And then when we had Simeon, I was so pumped that we had another boy because it was like the next generation of Briscoe boys that we have created. And I cannot wait (laughs) to get after all the things that they, I know that they'll get into. So we can take that photo down. It'll just distract you. So I remember my dad was angry. He was frustrated. He's passionate about his car that his boys and whom he loves, but were wrecking. And it reminds me of another person who is passionate, who is angry, and who is frustrated. And here's my segue. It was the Apostle Paul when he wrote the book of Galatians. He was passionate. He was frustrated. Maybe a little bit angry with the churches in the region of Galatia. And he wrote them this letter because he was concerned about the leadership of what was taking place. So here we have, and you can read about it in the book of Acts too, There's the Messianic Jews who were following Christ. Then there was also the growth in the Gentiles and these non-Jewish Christians. And it was wonderful to see this rapid growth that we read about. And there became this balance about in numbers between the Messianic Jews and the non-Jewish Christians. The leaders, though, of the Messianic Jews were beginning to place Torah laws, Old Testament laws on the non-Jewish Christians, that they too had to abide by these laws that the Jewish Christians were abiding by, had to abide by, and were continuing to abide in. And so laws like making sure that you take the Sabbath, making sure that you're not eating improper food, you got to eat the kosher food or whatnot, and circumcision right, were the biggest ones in which that they were enforcing on the non-Jewish Christians. And so Paul, frustrated and angry and passionate, and he said, you have adopted the wrong gospel. This is not the right gospel. And even Peter had kind of like gone back to that concept of the law rather than the new life that this early church was experiencing in Jesus. And in Jesus, we gain a new life, right? We gain a new identity. Amen? We gain a new calling. What are some of these things that God calls us? List them out. Throw them out. Adopted. That's right. What else? Loved. Come on, come on. Let's be confident. That was two people at one time. Sorry, I didn't hear it. Redeemed. Good. Yes. Keep going. Heir. I love that. Heir of the kingdom. Come on. What else? Chosen. Awesome. Holy and dearly loved. What about our sermon series? Our last one. Anointed. Commissioned. Salt. I knew that was coming. Knew it was coming. (laughs) Righteous sanctified, set apart, renewed. How about free? Come on. How about free? He calls us free. And so here, 
Paul is saying, hold on, guys. You've adopted the wrong gospel here. And, And how often do we as Christians live a life where we seem trapped and alone and not living in the freedom that's already been given us? It's like we're sitting inside a cell and the gate is completely opened. And we're just sitting there. And yet freedom is right there. We're free. Many Christians spend a lifetime trying to achieve something that Jesus has already achieved for them. And so here's Paul saying, guys, like you're no longer under the law anymore. You're under the life of the spirit. So we're going to read Galatians chapter 5, 13 to 15. And you know what? We're also going to have it up on the screen. But that doesn't mean you should not bring your Bibles to chapel. Always bring your Bibles to chapel. Thank you. Verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be what? Come on, let's try that again. You, my brothers, were called to be? But not, But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Someone say, Amen. Amen. The acts of sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we want to keep up with you. We want to keep in step with you. And we know you're here. We know that you are at work. We know that you've been at work. You are continually working. You do not slumber, but you are alive and at work. And I pray that tonight, as we uh, believe in our minds and our hearts, that you are uh, resonating in this room, resonating inside of us, uh, that we would have ears to hear what you have to say. And that we would be attuned and attentive and uh, keep up as best we can to walk in step with you. We love you in your name. Everybody said? Yeah. Come on. Fruit of the Spirit. Anybody ever gone through this before? Anybody ever like done a Bible study on the fruit of the Spirit? Anybody ever heard a sermon on the fruit of the Spirit? Yeah. Anybody ever done like a sermon series through the fruit of the spirit before? Okay, good. So lots of you have, you've read it, you know it, you've understand it. And so, uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about 
maybe an introduction to it, but, but I, I want to take it to the next level where we're just not talking about what love is or what joy is. I want to hope in the sense that you kind of have some understanding as we approach this text together so that we can go a little bit deeper this evening and over these next few weeks together. You with me? Yeah? Okay, great. So uh, we're going to actually cover this concept in this like umbrella of community. We're going to cover this concept of the fruit of the spirit in this like umbrella of friendship and of relationships and and how these virtues, how these characteristics uh, and these traits can bless. They can, they can encourage and they can flourish in friendship and flourish in relationships in dating relationships and all you newly engaged relationships in marriages, in roommate friendships in all of that, in this community, how we can foster these virtues, these graces that God gives us to operate in, in community. And my hope and my prayer is that uh, as we dive into this scripture and the, the scriptures that we're going to use to support this, that it inspires you. That these stories would inspire you as you think about these, not just words, but characteristics even as we were singing tonight, man, every song that, that had the word love in it, when Kim read the scripture verse about faithfulness, that he is faithful to complete the work, it was just each of these words, like in the last couple of days, thinking about this more so, these words just have been like, I, I'm just hearing them more. I'm a little bit more attuned to it because I've been in this more so than I have recently. And so that has now become my prayer for you is that over the next few weeks, whether it's chapel, whether it's class, that when you have, whenever you hear the word kindness, that all of a sudden it's like, oh, right, yeah. Or you hear the word self-control, oh, yeah, right. And I, I hope and pray that these words pop a bit for you over these next, these next few weeks. Because I don't want it just to reside here in this room. I want it to be out those doors. We may talk about it in these rooms, but we act it out. Yes, in here, but intentionally for out there. You with me? Come on. Turn to your neighbor and say, in step. So what does the fruit of the Spirit mean? Okay. The fruit of the Spirit means that it is visible growth in Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Fruit of the Spirit is visible growth in Jesus Christ. It's visible attributes of a true Christian life. And when the Spirit starts changing someone, it shows in growth and maturity in their character. And that's a word that has landed this year so much so. It was years ago that we actually selected it for our more conference, like weekend retreat that's coming in March, that this is our theme for it is character. But like, again, we've been thinking about it. So it's just been popping up like crazy, this word character. And so as the spirit changes someone, it shows growth in their character. And as their character changes, this is also called the fruit of the spirit, showcasing, revealing itself in someone's character. The moment you believe in Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in you. And Jesus says that if you love me, you obey my commands. And that I will give you a counselor, another counselor who will be with you forever. 
the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And so God's math is, is if you've accepted Christ, the spirit lives with you and is in you. And so, therefore, if the Spirit is in you, the fruit of the Spirit have been planted and reside inside of you already. It's not something that we have to search for. It's not like, yeah, you know what, I, Pastor, I love love, and I, I, I'm a bit of a joyful person, but I'm telling you, patience just isn't in me, right? Self-control, it just ain't there. I like love. It's great. You know what? I even like kindness, but, like, Gentleness, come on. Compassion, come on. It's just not in me. See, the fruit of the Spirit is not like the gift of the Spirit. They're different. We don't have all the gifts that reside in us. There's attributes, there's skill sets, and there's gifts that I believe God has given to the church for the equipping and the building up of the church. And we don't have all of those. But the fruit of the Spirit resides in every single one of us. Every single one, it is there planted. And yes, we need to cultivate it and work at it and massage it and see it grow, but it is in you. And just like blood, it is in you too. Come on, give. Thank you. I thought it was good too. So these fruits are virtues and they're graces that the Spirit produces in the character of a Christian. And we learn from Scripture that the fruit of the Spirit is like is not in like individual fruits and multiple fruits, that it is singular in context, that it's the fruit of the Spirit. And so rather than these different characteristics that we feel like we can take this and this and this and this and not this, this, and this, it's no, it's all. It's like an orange where it's one fruit but has multiple wedges on the inside. Come on. Who said dang? Who said dang? Was that you, Brandon? Come on. Dang. <laughs> You'll say dang? I got a couple more points. If you guys call it out, you may get an orange, okay? <laughs> It's, a, it's one fruit, right, with these ninefold characteristics that are all compiled into one together, okay? And how is fruit expressed? Paul lists in Galatians that it is both something that you are and something that you do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Let me see you can throw this up. It says this, God is equally concerned about what he's doing in you and what he's doing through you. God is so concerned about what he's doing in you and what he's doing through you. Isn't that good? Isn't the fruit of the Spirit taste so good? Come on. Did you know that the phrase in him or in Christ, Paul mentions multiple times, actually 164 times in his letters combined, he uses the phrase in him or in Christ. So you know those, those speakers that are like the one like track record where like they write a book and then everywhere they go, they just talk about exactly what they wrote about over and over and over and over again. If Paul was alive, I think he'd be going kind of along that track about the in him, in him, in Christ, in him, in Christ, abide in him. John actually gives a great picture of it, right? 
with the branches and the vine, Jesus as the vine, that we abide in him and he in us. And as Christians uh, abide in Jesus, they abide in the vine, they bear fruit, just like a, a branch bears fruit as they abide. Jesus, record, Jesus said, as recorded in Matthew, excuse me, that the quality of the fruit depends on the nature of the tree, right? The nature of the tree, what resides inside, will equal the quality of the food that is, or fruit that is produced. He said that words of a man are fruit. Your words are fruit. What you say showcases what's inside. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your words are fruit. Do they taste sweet or do they taste sour? You already have an orange, Julie. <laughs> I'm just fucking. <laughs> oh, it's good to be home. It's good to be back. Come on. Jesus also taught that deeds are fruit, that deeds, what we do, deeds are fruit. You will know them by their fruit, as he was speaking about false prophets, false prophets who do many mighty works, unfortunately, for their own being. So you'll be known by your words, you'll be known by your deeds uh, as well. Fruit is more than just words, it's more than what you do, the qualities of your character of which those words and deeds originate from, that your character is also fruit. Your words are fruit, your deeds are fruit, and your character is fruit. What we say, what we do, and who we are is our fruit. That's who our fruit. What we say, what we do, and who we are. Jesus describes that fruit that the fruit that is produced is the result of dwelling in him. Isn't that great? Dwelling in him. Dwelling in the gift that he has given us, in his spirit. Our words, our deeds, our character, the things we say, the things we do, who we are, as we dwell with him, as we abide in him, we become more like him. So I got a question for you. Would you consider yourself an important person? That's tough. It's tough for us Canadians to answer that one, right? Because we're just so kind. We're just so humble. We just don't like that. But would you consider yourself an important person? Come on. Come on. You're an important person, Nathan. Would you consider yourself an important person to someone? Well, how come that was so much easier to answer? Would you consider yourself a good friend? So we're like, yeah, I think I'm a pretty good friend. I'd hang out with myself if I was somebody else. (laughs) Friendship. I've learned a few things over the years of friendship I'd like to share with you. 
this is nothing that I've studied. This is just an experience. So if you don't like it, uh, I apologize somewhat. I'm still growing, so that's why I don't fully apologize. But this has been my experience with friendships uh, so far. So I'm the kind of guy that is a bit of a chameleon that feels like I can kind of roam around and hit this interest group or this personality group. And I feel like I can pretty much fit in almost anywhere. Anybody else like resonate with that a little bit? How about those who don't resonate with that at all? Yeah. So throughout high school, uh, as a young adult as well, I, I felt like I could pretty much hang out with anybody and feel like I could fit in. Like if it was talking about sports, I know enough information to fit in, although I really don't know as much as like a sports enthusiast knows about. Uh, but I can hold a conversation in regards to uh, whatever it may be, whether it's arts, whether it's theater, whether it's movies, whether it's sports, whatever it may be, I feel like I can at least hold my own and fit in. And I liked that. As a young adult, I was the same. And as a youth pastor, when I was first in ministry, uh, I was still somewhat the same like that. Like any student who could come in, I feel like I could chat with them, no problem. Cafeteria, I could sit at any table and feel comfortable with who I'm chatting with. That's just kind of my comfortability zone. Uh, And so I kind of operated that way. And I remember about my seventh year in ministry, seventh or eighth year in ministry, like ministry, God was blessing it like crazy. It was a wonderful season of life to be a part of. And uh, God had taken this youth ministry from where it was when I started to this really amazing place where we were getting like, Dozens and dozens of kids were coming out. We were, we were peaking around 80 to 100 kids. And it's not just about numbers, but each number has a name. And that name is important to God. So therefore, it's important to me. And it was amazing to see this influence that we were having in the city of Chilliwack. And we were seeing kids saved. And we were seeing... Uh, like large graduating classes of students who loved God. And we were having opportunities to go up to the Yukon and put on a kid's camp and go into these retreats and speak in all over the place. And so it was really cool. It was a real blessing and honor to be a part of it. But at the same time, it was around that season in life that I realized my friendship levels were like dead low, like super, super low. And we live in a world where I think our value of friendship, like, like I picture this as like a, like a tank that needs to be filled of like time together with people, like high trust and, and like intentionality and friendship and intimacy as friends, like where it grows. Right. But our, our culture today, I believe that tank is tipped over to the side where it's rather than this like thin, like tube where it got to get filled up. So it's super deep and healthy. It's fallen over. We're, we're now pretty wide, but pretty shallow in our friendships. And we live in a society where social media plays into that as well big with our likes, our hearts, how many followers we have, how many friends we have, and, and how many notifications or messages that we receive. And we feel like, you know, we're, we're super connected on a wide range of things. But if we're really, truly speaking, we feel isolated and alone because our depth is pretty shallow because that tank has fallen over. Anybody else resonate with that? And so I found myself actually in that place where I was like, I feel like I know so many people, but I don't have a single person I feel like I can actually call in this moment. And I remember this <laughs> this evening. So Rebecca was uh, at school. She was getting her uh, Bachelor of Arts um, with like a 
major in theater. So she's out doing like shows and rehearsals. And most of the nights like coincided with youth nights. So it worked out great for our schedules. But every once in a while, there would be like an off night where I'd be at home. And I remember I was watching the movie Bridesmaids by myself at home. (laughs) Yeah, super funny movie, okay? Like, this is terrible. I'm actually sharing this. But I was laughing by... You ever been in a room by yourself and you're just laughing out loud so hard? Like, I was literally crying, laughing out loud in my living room by myself. And it, like, struck me that I was by myself. Like, right? Like... (laughs) I was like, yeah, this is funny. And that was it. (laughs) This was pre-kids. And I remember every once in a while, I'd go play badminton on Friday night because Rebecca was busy on Friday night, and I didn't really know who else I could call or hang out with. So I played badminton with a bunch of seniors. And, like, like that was fun. But when they didn't play, I was like, where do I go and what do I do? (laughs) So I realized, okay, I got to change the way that I look at community and friendships and, and deepen what maybe I have or find some that can really become a place of depth in connection and friendship in my life. And, and I can be honest, the reason why I can share those stories now is because I am literally, uh, and I don't mean to brag, but I'm going to, in the richest place of friendship I've ever been in my entire life. God has been so good. He is a redeemer and he is a restorer. And the friendships that I have today, uh, man, it is the most satisfying place I've ever been in. And so here's a lesson that I've chatted with a few guys this week in, in mentoring. And again, I don't have it all figured out. I'm still learning, okay? But I believe that that tank needs to be put back upright. And I believe that, like, our friendships and our connections uh, can go deep. They can go real deep. And that uh, rather than being friends with everyone, uh, we can be friendly to everyone, right? We can love and have compassion to absolutely everyone. But to be quite intentional and intimate and vulnerable with some select few friends is going to deepen and richen your life like never before. And uh, you get a you get an orange for that, Nathan. Don't tell, don't tell Mark and Mike. I'm giving these out, by the way. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I lost my train of thought. Where was I? Friendships, depth, yeah. So I have learned, okay, I have learned that through this time, that like the richness and the depth of friendship comes through intentionality. The friendships are not automatic. Like, they may start organic. They may start automatic. They may start that way. But true friendships require intentionality. See, acquaintances happen by proximity. Friendships happen by being purposeful. So you can be acquaintance with a lot of people. And that just happens by proximity. But to be intentional and purposeful on your friendship is what's going to bring depth and richness into your life. So to be purposeful. See, community and relationships are the same. Like, just community. Community happens. But healthy community doesn't just happen. It's got to be intentional. It's got to be purposeful. You know what naturally happens in the context of community? 
without any intentionality, isolation is what will naturally happen if there's no intent, no purpose, and no plan for health and growth in that community. And healthy community is one of our values. That our heart and our desire is to see here, practiced here, so that when we get away from here, that we are strong in our community, that we are healthy in our communication with one another. So you ever been in that place where you're surrounded, living with 140 people, and you feel isolated? You're on a hill that you see people every single day, and because you see them every single day and you eat meals together every single day, we can take it for granted by working hard because we don't actually have to work that hard to see each other. That when you go home for Christmas or when you go home for spring break or you go home for summer, you realize, oh, actually, the depths of these friendships are actually probably more acquaintances than they are friends because I haven't put any investment into it. Ever been in that place before? Yeah? It's an up and down journey, right? Where it's like, man, I feel good. Like, my friends are good. We're having great conversation. And the next week, it's like, oh, how come they're at 7-Eleven and they didn't invite me? How come they're over for coffee and they didn't bring me one? And all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, yeah, no, you know what? Things are actually pretty good. We had a really good conversation. And then, oh, there's already everybody sitting at the table and there's no extra chair and I can't get in. And, and all these thoughts of the up and down and up and down and up and down. Ever been there? Yeah, been there. So there's a story that I want to go through this, this evening. And, and what we're going to do with these, uh, this series is we're going to take some Old Testament scripture. And we're going to go through these stories. And I'm not necessarily going to elaborate specifically on these points of like the characteristics. But uh, what I want to encourage you with, and I hope the scripture and I believe scripture does, is that it will inspire you to take this story and to take the characters and the scenarios and the situations and either place yourself there or place that person kind of in your shoes and how they have acted according to God's purpose, how they have acted according to God's plan and how what they have done that we can mirror, that we can be inspired by in being in step with the spirit. So you with me? So we're going to talk about Joseph tonight. Who here likes the story of Joseph? Man, I like the story of Joseph. And the reason why I share it about my brothers is because he has a bit of a dysfunctional relationship with his brothers. Actually, the whole family is somewhat dysfunctional to begin with. Uh, the way that the brothers um, are born and birthed, created, it's not just husband and wife. It's husband and wives and two others. It's four women together placed to this creation of these 12 brothers, half brothers. So talk about dysfunctional, right? Like, I understand dysfunctional family when you come from one. So when you read one, you're like, I see that easily. No problem. So you ever feel like life is a mess and that God sometimes isn't there? Can I tell you that he's right there in the middle of it? Like right smack dab in the middle of all of it. So here's Joseph. Okay. In chapter 37 of Genesis is where it starts. And I'm not going to like read every verse. I'm just going to kind of go through it together with you. Uh, but it's basically from 37 to the end of the chapter is this journey in life of Joseph. Uh, and so um, Joseph is the son of Jacob born of Rachel. Uh, and Joseph was clearly the favorite brother. Just like Gavin was the favorite of the kids, uh, Joseph, see, I resonate so much with this story already. And uh, Joseph was clearly the favorite that Jacob had of his sons. 
He loved him so much. He gave him a coat as this honor, as this blessing. Uh, and Joseph was also a bit of like a tattletale uh, in this story. And Jacob would use Joseph to make sure that the brothers like stayed in line. Who's that person in their family? Anybody want to admit to that? <laughs> yeah, there's a few. <laughs> Where it's like your parents just trust you. Like Seth is that is that kid in like our family right now. Um, also because Simeon doesn't know how to talk yet. Uh, so that really plays into it. But uh, Seth will tell us when he hits Simeon because he's just like riddled with guilt. Uh, so that's just how he is. It's super funny. And so Joseph was this kid that Jacob would use to make sure the brothers were kept in line. And he gave him this coat and he loved him. And Joseph also like, gloated a bit that he was the most loved. And he had these dreams. And they had these two specific dreams. And in 37, chapter 37, it says he was 17 years old. So somewhere as a late teen, he had these dreams. And he expressed these dreams and told them to his brothers, um, where there was this bundle of wheat uh, that stood up. And all these other bundles of wheat that were around him bowed down to him and told him this dream to his brothers. And they're like, oh, wait a second. Are, are you saying? Are you, are you saying what I think you're saying? Are you saying that we're going to bow down to you? Is that what you're saying? So then Joseph then again later, sometime later, has another dream. And he explains this dream again to his brothers and to his parents. And he said that there's the sun and there's the moon and there's 11 stars. And these constellations and the sun and the moon, they fall and they bow down to Joseph. And they're like, hold on a second. Like you're number 11 in this order here, pal. Uh, why are we bowing down to you? And even Jacob is like, you're saying that I'm going to bow down to you. And there's this like chaos and confusion that's like already created in this somewhat dysfunctional family that God absolutely loves and uses to progress his purpose and plan. It's a wild, lovable story. And so the brothers are out tend into the flock, right? And uh, so Jacob says, Joseph, can you go check on the brothers? And so he's out searching for them. And he goes to Shechem. Is that how you say it? Shechem. We're going to go with that. And he finds a guy and he says, no, they're over at Dothan. And so he goes over to Dothan and he's meeting up with his brothers. And they see him coming from a distance. And they're like, there's that dreamer boy. There's that dreamer guy who says we're going to bow down to him. What should we do to him? You know what? Let's kill him. What? (laughs) Let's kill him. Like, I remember having some anger and hatred to my brothers, but never once was I was, I'm, I want to kill you. Like, never once did I actually have that emotion. But straight up, they're like, let's kill the dreamer boy. And then good old big brother Reuben. Good old big brother Reuben says, hold on a second, guys. Hold on a second. Like, let's not kill him, okay? Like, he's our own brother. He's our own flesh and blood. Let's not kill him. Let's do something to him, but let's not kill him, okay? And so they say, okay, okay. Eventually, they uh, take him, and they throw him into a well. They throw him into a cistern, and he falls into this cistern, and he's stuck in there. And as they're tending to the flock, these uh, slave traders come by, and they're like, hey, let's, let's sell him. Let's sell Joseph to these slave traders. And so while Reuben was, wasn't around, because he probably would have said, guys, hold on a second, let's not sell them. But uh, they take them and they sell them to these slave traders. 
and they take this robe, not his cloak, but this robe that he was wearing, and they take it, and they rip it, and they put animal blood on it, and they bring that home to their father, Jacob, and they say, look, Joseph is dead. And the, the grief that that affected their father, the pain and the sorrow that Jacob had from that day forward, I wonder, I wonder how long it took for the brothers to feel guilty. Like later we'll get to that in the story, but I wonder if it would have been in that moment, right? You know that moment where you've disappointed your parents? Like this is an extreme case, like, (laughs) right? But like, like I wonder how long that took for those brothers to feel that remorse. So Joseph then is taken and he's brought to Egypt and he's sold he sold for a few coins of silver to Potiphar, this captain of the guard for Pharaoh. And so he was sold. And, and oh, man, this is so cool in verse or chapter 39. Okay, chapter 39, I want to land on this for a second. Because in this moment, okay, like he's, he's loved. Jo- Joseph was loved by his father. Life was good. He got a new sweet jacket. And then uh, his brothers hated him and wanted to kill him. And like thrown into a well, and sold as a slave. Like, we're talking high to just low, right? And then he's bought. Like, how disgraceful would that be, right? Like, you're just purchased. And now he's this, like, slave to Potiphar. But God takes this story, and he builds it up. And actually, it says in chapter 39, verses 2 to 5, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. Isn't that great? The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household, the property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. Wow. Actually, in that chapter, four times, it writes that the Lord was with Joseph. In the depth of being sold as a slave for pieces of silver, God elevated and raised his position because he served so well. He loved so well. He cared so well. He was of good character. He was a person of good standing. And people noticed it. Potiphar noticed it. And so he elevated and he raised him and he trusted him into this high position of taking care of his entire household. And then Potiphar's wife shows up. Ah! Ah! So here's Joseph, this good-looking young adult. He's, got, he's in his 20s around this time. This good-looking man and Potiphar's wife becomes attracted to Joseph and comes on to Joseph and tells Joseph to have sex with her. Have sex with me, she said. A couple of times, have sex with me. I demand you to have sex with me. And so here is one of the best practical tools, guys, One of the best practical tools, take Joseph as the best example for the first thing to do in moments of, hopefully that never happens to you, where a woman like (laughs) demands that, but in a moment of temptation, what does Joseph do? He books it. He gets up and he runs as fast as he can. 
runs as fast as he can. <laughs> okay? In a moment of temptation, in a moment of, of this, like, somebody trying to come on to you, get up and get out of that place, wherever you're at, okay? Like, legit, 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 let's take this. Let's take it to the self-control one, and specifically in regards to sexual temptation. This works for girls, too. Okay, this is step one, okay? There's more steps that follow after, but in the moment of temptation, in a moment of, like, you are afraid that you're going to succumb to this temptation in your life, get up and get out of that situation, wherever you're at. If you're on a computer, if you're on your phone, if you're out, if you're on a social media or a dating thing, just, like, Get out of there. Toss it away. Throw it in a drawer. Give it to a friend. Get it out of, the, out of that environment that you're at and run away. Okay? All right. Good. Awesome. Joseph, you the man. And then, what What did he say? Joseph needs an orange. That's right. You deserve an orange. Okay. So, so, uh, then, Joseph did the right thing. He's on this high, elevated into a great position in Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar's wife lies. Tells this lie to Potiphar. And says, Joseph. Because when he ran, she had his cloak, like his cool coat, right? She had his cloak. And he ran, so she still had possession of it. And so she said to Potiphar, this garment is here because he came on to me. And so I screamed and he ran. And so she lied to Potiphar, and Potiphar was furious. So he throws him in jail. He throws him in jail to be falsely accused and be thrown in jail. Man, life is good. Into a well, sold to slavery, elevated into a great position. Wow, this is awesome. Thrown into jail, falsely accused. Up and down, up and down. Anybody resonate this in their life, these ups and these downs? Four times in this chapter, Scripture says the Lord was with Joseph. He succeeded in everything he did as he served. The Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. Faithful love. He made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden, caused everything he did to succeed. Do not allow your circumstances to dictate your proximity to God. Do not allow your circumstances or sorry, your proximity, did I say right circumstances, to dictate your proximity to God. He is there in the moment, every single step of the way, he is there. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison, and he showed him his faithful love. So now he's in jail, and there's a cupbearer, and there's a baker. And these guys have dreams. And Joseph, being the dreamer, hears about these dreams. And says, hey, I think I have an answer for you. And so there's a good dream. And there's, a, oh, sweet, you got a Joseph shirt on. That's funny. You get an orange. <laughs> so there's a good dream. And there's a bad dream. So for the cupbearer, he says that you're going to be uh, removed out of jail in three days. And you're going to be placed back into your official position before the king. And then to the baker, he says, you're also going to be taken out of here in three days. But unfortunately... Your life is going to be over. Real disappointing news for the baker. Would want to be the cupbearer in that one. And Joseph says this, Please remember me 
And do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention, he was saying this to the cupbearer, by the way. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of his, of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison. But I did nothing to deserve this. Nothing to deserve it. The cupbearer forgot. And Joseph was in prison for two years. Two years. You ever feel like you're trapped somewhere for a real long time and you're like, God, have you forgotten about me? Like, I, I need you. But God was with Joseph right there. Until Pharaoh, two years later, he had a couple strange dreams. And the cupbearer's like, yeah, right, the dreamer guy. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Pharaoh looked for the wise men to give an answer to his crazy dreams. They couldn't answer it. And so the cupbearer says, I know a guy. I know a guy. He's in jail. Let's take him out. So Joseph gets released from jail, up and down, up and down, up, released out of jail. And he goes to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh explains his dreams to him. And so Joseph interprets these dreams. And he says, the fattened calves which were swallowed up by these skinny calves. This is the dreams that Pharaoh had. Then there's like the seven plump stalks of grain and like scorched and swallowed up by these seven like scorched up stalks of grain. And so Joseph interprets it and said, there's going to be seven years of great favor in the land where lots of crops are going to be produced. And then following is going to be seven terrible years of famine where there will be no food to be produced in any of the land. And Pharaoh listens to him. And this is what I love about Joseph. When Pharaoh asks him to, re- to uh, listen to his dream and to interpret his dream, this is the first thing that is recorded that Joseph says, it is beyond my powers to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. The first thing he says when he's released out of prison is, but God but God can. Whatever my circumstances, whatever this situation, whatever is going on, whether the highs or the lows, but God can perform whatever he needs to perform to make sure that whatever needs to happen will happen. What faithfulness on Joseph's part. Two years of prison, falsely accused, and the first thing he says is God can do it. God can do it. So, (laughs) Pharaoh falls in love with Joseph. Joseph becomes his favorite too. And so he elevates him to second in command of all of Egypt. He says, you will be in charge of my court and all my people and will take orders from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. He put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt and he was 30 years old. So we're talking 13 years now that he has gone from being at home, being his favorite from his father, Cistern, well, slavery, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, jail, two years, all that kind of stuff. So he was a servant for probably around 10 years in jail for two years. And here he is now, 30 years old, up again, elevated into this position, second in command of Egypt. So then we hit this beautiful picture of what's next. Seven years of this bumper crops, lots going on. Joseph creates these storehouses and they store food and preparations for the seven years of famine. And then in chapter 42, Jacob sends the 12, old, or excuse me, 10 oldest brothers to Egypt to get food. Benjamin, the youngest, stays home. Again, Joseph is in charge. And the brothers came, and this is what it says, that when they arrived, they bowed 
down before him with their faces to the ground. There's that picture. There's that dream. 13 years later, it comes into fulfillment. Ever had a dream that you feel like is never going to land? That you're just feeling like you're stuck and nothing's ever going anywhere? 13 years. So Joseph plays with his brothers. He realizes that's his brothers. So he's going to get a little bit of his revenge, right? Brotherly love here. And so uh, to quickly wrap up this story for the sake of time, and I'd love for you guys to read this too following tonight. So he recognizes them and he puts them in jail. And he says, I need you to prove this story. Because he talks, the brothers tell him about his father, tell him about his family, tell him about his youngest brother who never showed at the time. And then Reuben, So they were thrown into jail, and Reuben, the classic older brother, classic older brother, says this, didn't I tell you not to sin against that boy, Joseph? But you wouldn't listen, and he's talking to all his brothers. Now we're stuck here in jail. Egypt hates us. This guy, the second position, hates us. It's it's the curse because we threw Joseph into this well, and we sold him to slavery. So he keeps Simeon in jail, and he sends the rest home. And he says, you got to bring Benjamin, the youngest, back, because he wants all his brothers there. And so he keeps Simeon in jail. As the other brothers go home, they take all of their food, and not just their food. What Joseph does is he gets his servants to give the money that they purchased the food from, put it back in the bags, and to also resource them for whatever they need on their journey back to their homeland. He gives them that as well. So they take it, and they get home, and they realize that the money that they had spent on the food was right there. And there's extra with it. And they're like, well, how did this land here? And Jacob's like, did you steal this food? They're like, no, we didn't steal this food. They're going to think we stole this food. And Simeon is stuck in jail over there. And we need to bring Benjamin to show him that Benjamin is still alive. Or else we're never going to get Simeon back. And then we stole all this money and chaos ensues. Jacob, olden age, is like, what did you guys do? Drives up in the car. All the kids jumping on the car, right? So chaos ensues. They eat all the food. They don't go back right away. This is the craziest thing. They stay home and they eat all the food. And then when all the food is gone, it's probably a year or so later. Then they finally go back. I wonder what Simeon was thinking in jail the whole time. I thought they were coming right back. So (laughs) I love scripture. It's so awesome. So the brothers return to Egypt. They needed the food. The brothers returned to Egypt. Jacob at first is like, don't do it. Don't go. I'm not allowing Benjamin to go with you. There's no way. Well, what about Simeon? We got to get Simeon. No, there's no way you're doing it. And then Reuben's like, I'll kill my first two kids. And we're like, oh, that got heavy quick. (laughs) And like legit, it's here. I love it. So the brothers return to Egypt. Says this, Joseph sees them and he gets his servants to prepare a feast. Oh, I love it. Prepare a feast. The brothers were terrified when they saw that they were being taken into Joseph's house. It's because of the money someone put in our sacks last time we were here. And they said, he plans to pretend, or he he plans to pretend that we stole it. And they will seize us. And they will make us slaves. And we'll take our donkeys. (laughs) We'll take our donkeys. They're so concerned about their donkeys. (sighs) Joseph looked at at his brothers. And he saw Benjamin. The son of his own mother, his full brother. Is this your your youngest brother, the one you told me about, Joseph asked? May God be gracious to you, my son. And Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brothers. 
He went into his private room where he broke down and he wept. After washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control, and he ordered, bring out the food. Band, you guys can come on back up. What a picture of brotherly love. What a picture of goodness. What a picture of faithfulness. Self-control, like he had power to do whatever he wanted to do. And yet he gave goodness and love and food to his brothers. He says this, Joseph could not stand it any longer. Out, all of you, he says. So he was alone with his brothers and he broke down and he wept. And he wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me the advisor to Pharaoh. But God, in any situation, and I believe many of you could probably resonate with that same verse, God has sent me here to this place. And it may seem that my life is like this, and then the next week it's like this. And then we're up like this, and then all of a sudden we're down like this. And no matter what trek you are on that climb or that descend, God is with you every single step of the way. And in this series of being in step with the Spirit, not only is God in step with you every single step of the way, His heart and His desire is for you to be in step with Him to be in step with the Spirit. What favor Joseph had in the conduct of his character. As he loved, as he was kind, as he was gentle, God blessed him with great favor, great relationships, great trust. And I believe if we conduct the same way, these same virtues of kindness and gentleness and love and goodness and faithfulness, that he will grant us great favor with those that we are in contact with. He's equally concerned about what he's doing in you and what he's doing through you. So would you stand up with me tonight? I want to conclude with this. The fruit of the Spirit, of love, joy, and peace, here's the thing. It doesn't work in isolation. It only works in the context of community. Kindness doesn't exist without people to be kind to. Patient doesn't exist when there's people who are testing your patience. You need them there to test it, to be patient to them. And previous to that, that sinful nature part, that also happens in community and can wreak havoc on community. It's the, it's the opposite, right? Sexual immorality, idolatry, hatred, fits of rage, 
wreak havoc in a community. And if we're not purposeful or intentional, that's what will happen. But if we're intentional, walking in step with the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and we'll hear these words and we'll see these characteristics and we'll notice them, we'll love them and we'll respond to them. And so my prayer is that you're inspired by the story of Joseph. And that over these next few weeks, not just in here, but out there, you're inspired by these stories to read them, to get them into you, to find yourself in the story and to find that story inside your life that God is with you every single step of the way and desires for you to be in step with him. My last point is this, and where I want to open it up, is this last weekend when we were at the Awaken Conference, uh, I was so inspired by these teenagers that, that they would pray for each other, and they would pray with all this earnest inside of them and, and authenticity, and then the moment that they would stop praying, it was like straight to like going like this, and then they would like, the person would see it, and they would like punch him and smack him. Okay? <laughs> like, they were so genuine in who they were. And I love that. To be so genuine and honest in their character. It was so beautiful. It was so real. You know what they also were so good at? They were so good at just sitting at the altar and waiting. And we waited, literally, students waited for an hour and a half to two hours. 11-year-olds abiding in him so that he could abide in them to change and format and and prune and build and mold these students to look more like Jesus. And I was so inspired and so was our team and those who led. And the whole time after that, we're talking like, like we got to do this. We got to do this here. We just need to take time at the altar in front of him and dwell in his spirit and abide in him so that he may abide in us and flourish the fruit of these the spirit inside of me. And so tonight there's no specific direction. I just want to allow you to take that step forward and come to the altar. And it may be sitting and it may be actually like pacing and taking these steps and saying, Spirit, this is me. I'm physically taking these steps right now. And this is me physically doing it. So spiritually, I'm going to mirror this in my life, my actions and everything I do. It might be that. It might be sitting. It might be lying, whatever it is. But would you come to the altar tonight to abide in him, to walk with him and allow him to mold and shape you? You with me? Holy Spirit, we love you. Holy Spirit, you are everything to me. We know that you're here now. You're speaking. You're piercing our hearts. I know that. I feel it in my own heart that you're alive and at work. And so tonight in this remainder time that we have here, would you continue to inspire us, speak to us. We want to we wait for you to move as long as it takes. So for those of you who are feeling it right now, would you just come to the front? You just come right up to the front right here. You feel the Spirit speaking to you. This is your chance to come forward. And for us tonight, let's take this time. Take this time to hear from the Lord.